Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to the book of Daniel, chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12 and also Matthew chapter 24 in a Bible study that I've entitled Understanding the Times, part four. This is a sixth study in this little sub-series that we've been in. Looking at the end times, if we come to the end of Daniel and looking at how Daniel's book was for the end times, he was given something in his time to prepare for us living in this time, which is very encouraging to me. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 12 in Daniel, it says, At that time Michael the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise. And there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. Now I want to pause here just for a second. I think I might even develop this into a message, but I want you to notice that Daniel is told that in the times of anguish and in the last days and, and in the times at the just preceding the coming of the Lord, there are going to be a special blessing for those that are sharing the gospel. There's a special blessing, he says. He says, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who many will, that lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. There, there's going to be an opportunity in the last days. There is an opportunity in these last days to shine like stars forever to have that shining brightness of the Lord upon us as we take advantage of the times in which we live to further the gospel. Now you can take the times in which you live and use it in a lot of different ways. There are a lot of different temptations, a lot of different tangents to take. But the one that will experience the brightness and the blessing of the Lord will be those that choose to walk in wisdom and share the gospel and lead many to righteousness. Me lead, listen, lead many to righteousness. See, people will follow your lead, whether you ask for it or not, whether you embrace it or not. God has placed you as a believer in this world and many people are following you. And when you think of that, just think, man, I wanna lead them to righteousness. I wanna lead them to the cross. So Daniel's told now, but you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end when many will rush here and there, and knowledge will increase. Jump down to verse 9 with me in Daniel 12. But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I've said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified and cleansed and refined by these trials, but the wicked will continue in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. And that's who we want to be. We want to be the wise ones that know what it means. We come to Daniel 12. 
we come to the Bible in a time in which we live, really any time, but especially in these times, and we ask, what will the end times look like? And it stirs up a lot of controversy because on one hand, there'll be those that you hear and say, oh, don't, don't open the Bible and don't compare it to the news. That's not how the Bible reads. And I disagree with that. I think as you open up the Bible and you begin to read the news and you begin to watch it unfold, it has an amazing parallel to what God predicted would happen in the end times. I believe that those that would say, oh, don't pay attention to the news and don't try to compare it to the scriptures are, are actually disobeying what Daniel was told. He said, write this down because in the right time period, it's going to make a lot of sense to the people that are living in the last days where, where knowledge is going to run to and fro and this is going to become real and, and understanding. And we need to be like the sons of Iskar as we read earlier. We need to be understanding of the time so we know how to lead well. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at various passages. Come back with me now to Matthew chapter 24. We've been looking at various passages throughout the Bible describing the end times. What will the end times look like? Because we've been told ahead of time. And even as some dismiss this, we can't dismiss this. Or if you choose to dismiss this, then you do so at your own peril. And you do so at the own peril of your family and those that love you and are following your lead. If you don't take these times seriously, then the people that are close to you won't take these times seriously. Now notice, we've been looking at, up to this point through verse 35, the teachings in, Je in Matthew 24 that's known as the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus is answering the questions of his disciples of what will it be in the last days. And in particular, what's going to happen with the temple and the things that Jesus was teaching. Pick up with me now in verse 36 where we left off last time in Matthew chapter 24. It says, however, Jesus speaking, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. And people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So beginning in verse 36, I want you to mark that phrase, no one knows. Such an important phrase, simple enough, but as for the specific timing of the return of Jesus Christ, no one knows. Say with me, church, no one knows. No one knows. I know with the mask you have to make a little bit of extra effort, but do it, just a little bit extra effort. No one knows. So anybody meet you in, in a Home Depot there in the aisle when you're shopping and say, hey, guess what? I've got a new revelation. I've got, how, how, what, what do you know about the, the end times? You have somebody come to your door or someone hit you up at the market. Listen, no one knows. So the pamphlets are wrong. The emails are wrong. The books are wrong. The YouTube videos are wrong. The tweets, the blogs, the websites, don't receive them. Why? Jesus said, what did he say? No one knows. No one knows. And although, as it says in verse 36, no one knows the day or the hour, we know the times and the seasons. And we're expected to know the times and the seasons. We're expected to understand 
the times in which we live. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are, not only are our eyes open spiritually, because we're born again, but now we're able to see things from the perspective of God and not man. The problem is, is we've learned that we live in the atmosphere of this world, so we've been conditioned and taught and just pressed upon us to measure anything, everything that we face, we have a tendency to measure in the worldly, in the earthly realm. And God is always calling us to a higher level. And we can know the times. The times surrounding, uh, the the situation surrounding the the end times, he says, he says, okay, you want to know what it's going to be like in the end times preceding my coming? It's going to be like the days of Noah. The days of Noah. Hold your place here. Come back to Genesis chapter 6. Let's look at the days of Noah. You see, Jesus believed in a literal Noah. He believed in a literal ark, or in the New Living it says boat. He, he believed in a literal, a literal flood and a worldwide judgment. You know how people make fun of the ark? They make fun of Noah. They make fun of worldwide judgment. They make fun of the idea that there was a flood. And they would, the, the issue is not the factual information about it, because sometimes you feel like, well, I, I'm not really a scientist, so I can't really make that argument about the flood and the layers, and I have to, well, you don't need to make that argument. All you need to do is say, do you believe what Jesus Christ said? Do you believe Jesus, and one of the, one of the things I like to do is I like to ask somebody, do you believe Jesus Christ is a liar? Now, people, a lot of people say things about Jesus, but many people hold short to say, oh yeah, I think he was a liar and a fraud. I think he came on the scene. Of course, if they admit that he is real, uh, and many people will do that, they'll stop short of saying, oh yeah, I think he's a liar and a fraud. Well, then if he wasn't a liar and a fraud, then he believed in Noah's Ark. He believed in Noah. He believed in the judgment of God. And you would do well to follow him and listen to him. And so notice in Genesis chapter six, he says, you wanna know what the last, times, last days are gonna be like? Look at Genesis six, verse one. Then the people began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took them, any that they wanted as their wives. And then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they're only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. And in those days, verse 4, and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Now those of you familiar with this section of Genesis, the, the larger point of Genesis 6 is lost on who are the Nephilim or the Nephilites mentioned here? Who are they? And it gets lost on the debate. But that the real point of Genesis 6 is the time period. When Jesus refers back to the days of Noah, he doesn't try to explain who these people were and what, what, what exactly were there, who were the giants in the land. He says, I want you to understand something about Genesis 6. I want you to understand something about the days of Noah. You need to see what was happening there because when you see those things start to happen in your time period, look, the coming of the Lord is at hand. So notice what he says in verse five. He says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything that they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he was made them and put them on the earth and it broke his heart. 
And the Lord said, I'll wipe off this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, and will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them, but Noah found favor with the Lord. The times of Noah. What were the times of Noah like? Well, business as usual. No, no problems here. We're going to continue to live our life. We're going to make the best of things. And, and, you know, the thing about the days of Noah that we can't forget is that the days of Noah involved, the bigger picture of the days of Noah was God's patience with the wickedness of man. God was patiently waiting for the people in Noah's day to repent. Every day, day after day, week after week, Noah, this preacher of righteousness the Bible describes him as, was sending the message of hope and rescue and salvation through his obedience. God was giving the people an opportunity to repent, patiently waiting for a change of heart. Judgment could have easily come sooner if God so chose. But God's patience ruled and reigned year after year. And so today as believers we have that tension where our hearts are desiring to see the return of the Lord and at the same time our hearts are wanting God to continue to be patient because we have friends and family that haven't repented of their sins yet. We have neighbors and bosses and co-workers that we love very much and we want to see come into the kingdom And so at the one hand, we're like, Lord, rescue us and deliver us of this wicked, evil age. And on the the other hand, we're like, no, Lord, thank you for your patience. It's your patience that leads to repentance. Jot it down in 2 Peter 3, verse 15. It says, remember, our Lord's patience gives time for people to be saved. You might have memorized in the New King James, he says, consider that the long-suffering of the Lord is for salvation. But I like the new living. Our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. And the return of the Lord is going to come as a surprise. They're building, mocking Noah, never under, never, don't have an understanding of what rain is. And then it's just going to happen, that first drop. And what is that? What's well, the faithfulness of God? The world won't be expecting it. It's not until the church is removed and the judgment of God begins that the world begins to realize that the Bible isn't true. Or the Bible is true. Like, excuse me? They begin to believe that the Bible, they don't believe it's true, but then they'll begin to go, you know what? The word of God is true. I was thinking of isn't true because I was thinking of of one of the news anchors that just really boldly uh, says right on the news to a million plus people watching, you know, you don't need God. Man's gonna take care of this and you don't need God. You know, somebody that, that affront for a believer, you're like, oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't accept that. But you know, most of the millions and millions of people that watch him go believe the same thing. Most of the world believes you don't need God today. Most of the world believes that it's the end, the end of all things is the wisdom of man and the scientific discoveries of man. They have no hope in anything but their own wisdom and their own strength. Maybe that's you today. 
Like you're caught up with the reality of the signs of the times and the difficulties. And from your perspective, you can just come to the conclusion. You may not be at the place where you believe what the Bible says, but you're at the place where you go, you know what, things are bad and I don't think they're going to get much better. But I hope they get better. And then we might ask you, well, where's, what do you mean? What's the root of your hope? We go, well, you know, they're working really hard on a vaccine. Yeah, but you know, there's something greater than a vaccine. Well, they're really working hard on, on, on trying to get the numbers in order and, and trying to get more tests and trying to work this over here and they're building this over there and we're just so hopeful. And you know, as Pastor Bob had shared with us, like the hope of your marriage and the hope of our country and the hope of your home and the hope of your family, that the government officials is not, they are not the hope of your life. They will not rescue you. They do not have the power or the wisdom or the understanding to handle the things that are happening in the end times. Jesus Christ alone is your hope in uncertain times. And you and I would do wise not only to be in that place of righteousness, but like Daniel said in Daniel 12, that we might shine as stars leading people to righteousness. And I know right now, leading people to righteousness is bringing up so much more mockery and blasphemy, just making fun of the church. You know, now uh, with rising numbers, I warned you guys, I told you not too long ago, and I don't know when this Bible study exactly will air on Abounding Grace, but in case it airs years in the future, we are in the middle of the COVID pandemic, the so-called second wave just to put a time period. So it's July of 2020 right now. We don't normally date the studies, but knowing this will air on the radio, should the Lord not return? Well, you know what? Maybe we don't need that though. We just want the Lord to return. We don't need to worry about that. We want, we want the Lord to return. That's my heart. But in case it airs later on, years from now, we're in the midst. And I warned you guys a few weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago, that the finger pointing will be at the church. It's all the church's fault. It's those people that come together and in a one room, they, they do the worst. They, they absolutely, they shouldn't be doing this and we can't let them do this. And already California has put the hammer down, or so they say, and they say, come into the room, but don't you dare sing. What are you talking about? That's like saying, go to the movie, but don't you dare watch the screen. What do you think we do at church? We sing, and we sing loudly, and we sing proudly, and we sing of our hope in heaven. Well, it's the church's fault. You get a few little people here, it's the church's fault. It's that gathering, they're in that room. Hey, listen, it's not the church's fault. It's sin's fault. The root of every disease, the root of every virus, the root of every death, on the earth today is a result of man's rebellion against a holy and a righteous God. And the Bible defines that as sin. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't any one of us that's innocent. It wasn't too long ago that we lived a life that was in rampant, rebellious, continual sin against God. It wasn't too long ago in my life where I had no care or concern for the things of God that I would have found myself taking advantage of the end times. But rather, God doesn't want us to take advantage of the end times. He wants us to lead people into righteousness. He wants our eyes firmly fixed upon him. He wants us to recognize the days in which we live. They're like the days of Noah. 
The days of Noah was filled with a population explosion. Some, some, uh, some estimate that there were five billion people living at the time of Noah. Imagine that. And I looked up uh, yesterday when I was finishing my notes, and as of yesterday on the planet Earth, there are 7.8 billion people on the planet. And there's a little counter that I found is just counting numbers, numbers, how many people living, how many people dying, and what the population is, 7.8 billion. Not only was it a population explosion, but in the times of Noah, like today, there was an increase of abnormal sexual behavior. Abnormal sexual deviant behavior. We don't need to go into detail with that. Thirdly, in the times of Noah, there was also an obvious, it was obvious that man's imaginations were growing more evil and evil. You know the Bible says in the book of Romans to stay innocent of the things that are evil? And I think that, that most of us as believers, we, we live that way. Uh, we want to stay innocent of these things. You know, I even purposely stay away from some movies that are recommended to me because I don't want, to, I don't want that evil in my head. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to even, in some cases, know that it, that kind of evil exists. I don't want to be defiled by it. I, I want to be excellent, like the Bible says, in what is good. And I want to be innocent in the things that are evil. But, you know, the world doesn't live that way. The world's imaginations are continually finding more ways to sin and to take advantage of one another and to hurt one another. Another thing of the days of Noah is that violence filled the earth. It was a violent time. Murders and suicides were increasing and increasing. And I'm sure there was resistance toward law enforcement, whatever that looked like. A resistance to the law of God and just to common sense morality and having a moral compass. Despite the fact that God had raised up a man, Noah, a preacher of righteousness, warning them of the judgment to come. Despite the fact that day in and day out, he, Noah just kept building, kept building, kept building. Despite the fact that people recognized the days in which we, they lived, they just kept going business as usual. And man's mind became so polluted that even in his imagination, he began to dream up more and more evil. And man was fashioning their godless philosophies and obscene idols, developing uh, perverted and depraved minds that led to depraved and perverted sex acts. And it was, it was a time where God said, no more. No more. Man has gone too far. And think for a moment in the days of Noah, as bad as it says in Genesis 6, think for a moment, all of what we read in Genesis 6 is without technology, without the advanced technology we have today, without internet, phones, all the delivery systems for evil. None of the pollutants that we have today were available, the delivery mechanisms available to them, and they got to the edge. How much, how much more patient is God with us? The days of Noah. Come back to Matthew now. In verse 40, he says, Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. So you too must keep watch. For you don't know the day or the, or the, you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. 
you also be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. And so another controversial passage, unfortunately, that is Jesus speaking of judgment, is he speaking of the rapture, uh, as Jesus is here teaching about, uh, before we get into the controversy, I just want you to know the summary of what he's sharing with you is verse 44. Don't miss verse 44. You must be ready all the time. You must be ready, church, all the time. There should be a readiness in our hearts for the coming of the Lord. And that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I believe that the rapture of the church will happen before the great tribulation period. So that our focus and attention will be, coming, will be on the coming of the Lord. Not all the events listed in Revelation. Now, some people would say, well, I don't believe in the, the rapture at the beginning of the tribulation. Uh, I believe that there's not even going to be a rapture. And what they do to get there is they say, well, Revelation, don't even pay attention to Revelation. Because in order to dismiss a rapture, you have to get rid of the whole great tribulation period. And you know, large segments of the church have totally dismissed Revelation totally dismissed Ezekiel 38 and 39, totally dismissed even the things that we're teaching here and have put it into what they call uh, apocalyptic literature. And that's just the way they wrote back then. And it really didn't mean much. It was just kind of written to encourage the first century. I agree. It was, it was written to encourage first century believers. I agree 100%. And second century believers and third century believers. And here we now are in the 21st century believers still awaiting the coming of the Lord. And you can't just dismiss and take out whole books of the Bible so that it fits your man-made theology. You have to come face to face with Jesus said to be ready for his coming. He said to be ready. He didn't say to look for the Antichrist. He didn't say to look for when the three and a half years. He didn't say to say, you know, when if the temple was built, then, it, then the clock starts. He said, I want you to live here. I'm going to make it real easy for you. Jesus said, I'm going to make it real easy for you. You live in the days of Noah. You live in the last days. Whatever days in which I want to make it easy for you. Always be ready for my soon return. You be looking for it. Anticipating it. Ready for it. Now, I know the different views on this. And I, I'm persuaded that this is a rapture passage. Because, you know, Jesus goes back and forth in the Olivet Discourse speaking of, as he, as he would, the rapture of the church and the second coming. And I'm persuaded that this is one of those passages of the rapture. Uh, in verse 40, uh, the word taken, and also the word, verse 41, the word taken, is a Greek word that's used three other times in the New Testament. I'll just read them to you. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, uh, it's used as the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, the same word is used, and it says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and two brothers, James and John, and led them up to a mountain to be alone. And it's used one other time in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, where Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this was not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then listen, he says, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's a place in heaven. Then he says, when everything's ready, I'll come and get you so that you'll always be with me. So that phrase, get you, led up. Don't be afraid to take. Those phrases speak of a carrying away. It literally means to take you by force, to go quickly. And Jesus is saying, look, I want you to be ready because I'm coming back for you. 
and it's going to come as a surprise. And notice one of the reasons why I think in verse 40 this is a reference to the coming of the rapture of the church is because one's taken, one's left. So there's an event that's, there's, there's someone taken, but not everyone. And there are those that are left to continue to live. And it's going to come sudden and it's going to be a shock. And one of the shockways, remember, the rapture of the church isn't this event that's real clean and tidy and then all of a sudden, kind of like the movies put it sometimes, you know, there's clothes laid out on the bed and a pair of shoes on the floor and everybody wakes up the next morning going, oh, what happened? Our people are missing. The rapture of the church will be a very cataclysmic event. It will be an upheaval of culture. That there will be a lot to, that goes on with the escape, with, the, with those that have escaped the coming tribulation. You know, you can think about it in some real practical ways. There'll be believers driving a bus at that time, gone. There'll be a believer flying planes at that time, gone. There'll, there'll be people in key places that love Jesus Christ, that'll be living their life, and in a twinkling of an eye, more, as fast as you can possibly, I mean, beyond your ability, to understand the timing, how fast it is, they'll be taken away. We'll be taken away. You know, the rapture means that there'll be a generation. There'll be a generation that will be alive on the earth that will not see death. Isn't that amazing? I want to be that generation. I want to be in the presence of the Lord. We could be that generation. The, the thing is, is that many times the world so encapsulates us that we don't want to be that generation. The, the, the afterlife and the heavenly world doesn't have the kind of attraction to us. We're so rooted in this world. We're not pilgrims. We're just putting our roots down. And we're wanting to put our roots down. But the rapture means that there's a generation that isn't going to see death. Secondly, the rapture is, speaks of a transformation. A transformation. The Bible says that we'll be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The rapture is instantaneous. It's going to happen immediately. Like two men are going to be working and boom, it's just going to happen. It's going to happen. They're going to be working. They're going to be grinding. One's taken, one's left. There's a move of God's spirit to come and rescue his church. So the summary in light of the rapture is to live with that, that hope that purifies us, that expectation. Jot it down. 1 John 3.3 3 says, all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure. That's the answer to purity. You're struggling with pornography tonight. You're struggling with lust. You're struggling with impurities. Listen, the answer to purity is this, the eager expectation of the coming of the Lord. He could come at any time. And that expectation of being reunited with your Savior automatically through the power of the Holy Spirit it's the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Purifies you. And you become more pure, not less. Come back to Matthew as we close the chapter. Verse 45. A faithful and sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there'll be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while? And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he'll cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. 
In that place, there'll be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. I want to be that faithful and wise servant. I hope you do too. Or as the new living, a faithful and sensible servant. So that the master can give me more responsibility, not less. That he would see in me a trustworthiness. And that my life would be worthy of his trust. We are his servants. Not because we have to be, but because we want to be. We think of his faithfulness and his goodness. And in our response, you know, the Bible describes us being bought with a price. Being redeemed. Being rescued. These are all valuable, beautiful words of relationship with God. And we're his servants. And with all the things happening around us, who is that wise and sensible man? Who is that wise and sensible woman that has chosen to serve the Lord no matter what? Who's the one that Jesus will find so doing when he returns? That he'll be put in charge, it says, verse 47, in all that he owns all that he owns. And what will he find us doing? You know, I think if you're taking notes, I think that he'll see in the church evangelism. I think he'll find a, a sharing heart. I, I think he'll have, like, like one of the things he'll see is that, that broken heart in a man or a woman and wanting to extend. You know, you see the hurt and the pain. Um, I was on quite a few calls this morning myself just dealing with some difficult things. And, you know, it, it's, man, sin, I, I think I ended up texting the brother after we hung up. I just, I, 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 I sent the phrase, sin stinks. It's, it's horrible. Like, it, it wrecks lives. It causes so much confusion. It, it causes so much hurt and pain on the deepest of levels sinful behavior and sinful actions. And a person, when we get caught up in rebellious sin, not just the mistakes we make and the things, like when we get caught up in rebellious sin, we, we take no note of the consequences that other people are gonna pay for that. We get to the place, especially as a believer, to such a backslidden state that there's no more care and concern. The ultimate, the ultimate essence of sin is selfishness. It's to serve self. It's to make sure that me, myself, and I are well taken care of. And, and then the people that love you and the people that are close to you, now they're shocked by the consequences of your sin being revealed. And let me just say this, and I think that the way the day lined up today was for a word from the Lord right now, in this moment. Because some of you are in what, what would be considered secret sin, or you think it's a secret. And you're convinced right now that you're getting away with it. And you're convinced right now that nobody knows. And that up to this point, everything's been fine. And oh, it almost happened here. Oh, it almost got out there. Or just might have gotten caught there. But so far, oh, we got through in it. And you didn't take it as a time, as a God's grace in your life to repent. And you didn't take it as a gift from the Lord to say, no, no, I could reveal this at any time. And I will reveal this any time. And let me just say this. The secret sin, what you consider secret sin in your life, I, I'll tell you this with absolute authority, both biblically and by experience, your secret sin will always be revealed at the absolute worst time in your life. It will be the absolute worst time in your life. You will not be able to control the timing. 
You will not be able to control the consequences. You will not be able to control the emotions of those the people that li- live with you, that love you. You will not be able, you, you think because it's secret and nobody really knows that you have control, but even as I speak, you have no control. You have presented yourself, the Bible says, as a slave to sin and unrighteousness, and your master is the devil in your flesh by your own willingness. It didn't take, take over. You cooperated. And it will be revealed at the worst possible time. There can be a less worse time, and that is your repentance. It'll be painful nonetheless. But if you choose to acknowledge and repent of your sin, believer, God will meet you there in mercy. It'll be painful, but God will meet you there in mercy. He will meet you there in his love and grace. He'll meet you there with the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sin. I know what I shared preceding this is hard and and challenging, but it needs to be. But don't let the hard and challenging word displace the love and mercy and the forgiveness of God. The Bible says this. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. And so you, you, in the last days, you've got to understand the height of sin will be so high that we just get used to it. We just don't even deal with it anymore. Whole churches and whole movements of churches will be so influenced to, to help people be happy and help people get their life together and help people go, you know, I know life is hard right now, but life's going to get better, that they no longer acknowledge the true root of why life isn't good right now. It's because of sin. It's because of the world's sin and it's because of our own personal sin. That willful disobedience, our willful decisions against what we know to be right, And so I just pray for you today, living in the last days, that you're not living in what you think is secret sin tonight, that you would come clean. And believe me, we've walked through a lot of things, you know, it's, well, Ed, if I come clean, I'll lose it all. Listen, friend, you've lost it all already. It's gone. You're just going to throw yourself upon the mercy of God that he might restore it to you. Because you know, God restores so, oh, Ed, I don't know. I, if, if, I, if I come clean, they'll never forgive me. Listen, look and, listen, you're living a lie right now. There's not even truth in your relationship. So what is forgiveness? Like, before you ever get to forgiveness, you've got to get to truth. You've got to come back to a truthful relationship. An honest, forthright, walking in the light. The Bible says that if we, in 1 John chapter 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's true for every marriage. That's true for every relationship, son, daughter, mom, dad. It's been a banner of our staff for many years now. God infused that in us. We've got to walk in the light. As painful as it is and as hard as it might be, we've got to speak truth to one another so that the Lord might cleanse us and wash us from all our failures, all our difficulties. That's true for our staff here at the church, our pastors, our our families, our leaders. As a church, we need to walk in the light. If there's no one else that's willing to walk in the light, we as believers here at Calvary Church must choose to walk in the light. As painful as it might be, as many deep breaths as we have to take, we need to walk in the light and be honest with one another and let the Holy Spirit mend us 
In these last days, we need to be found doing the work of the Lord. We don't want to be, like it says in verse 50, uh, you know, we don't want to be thinking, uh, or excuse me, verse 48, if the servant is evil and starts to think about, oh, the Lord's not coming back. Like, not only do you not think that, but like you just start getting caught up in the world. And he says right there, he says, you just, you're partying, getting drunk. They go, oh, I don't party, I don't get drunk. Well, in another place, Jesus speaks about how just the cares of this life, he puts them in the same category as partying and getting drunk. He says, look, just this life to sap your spiritual life, to take away your joy. What have we been called to do? We've been called to evangelize. We've been called to worship. We've been called to serve. We've been called to sacrifice. We've been called to self-sacrificial love. But the opposite is so prevalent today as whole many churches and movements have just abandoned the true teaching of the gospel and have just trying to put band-aids on a, world, on, a, on a life that isn't going to last forever. Remember Abraham, I'm just so enthralled with Abraham as we're studying through the book of Hebrews together. How he knew he was a stranger and a pilgrim. And the motivation, without any of the Bible that we have today, the new covenant, without knowing Jesus, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, without the upon experience, the baptism, without any of that, Abraham lived a life as a model for us, looking for that city, what, whose builder and maker is God. Don't hear that on the news very much, do you? Hey, no, there's crime in this city and crime in that city. But hey, everybody, we're looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. You guys see that on the news? Record it for me. Unless they have somebody interviewed, that's not the message. The message is doom and gloom. You know, the church is often, pastors, I'm often accused, oh, you're just doom and gloom. No, no, no. This world is doom and gloom. I have the hope of the gospel I'm sharing with you. There is more than this, than there. There is more to life than your current bank account, than the stack of bills, than the flat tire, than the bus being late, than the furlough, than the layoff. There is more to life than the apartment, than the house, than the rent. There is more to life. His name is Jesus Christ, and he loves you and gave his life for you. And there is a city whose builder and maker is God. And don't let the pressures of this life take away that faithful servant who when, his, when, when Jesus returns, he finds you so doing. When he shows up, you're evangelizing. When he shows up, you're sh- worshiping. When he shows up, it's, it's not even that much of a translation because you're just worshiping the Lord and then you're right in the presence of the Lord. And it's not even that big a change. Don't be silenced. Don't, don't be a grumbler or a complainer. You know, you think about that. Evangelism, the opposite is silence and apathy. You think of that worship, the, the opposite of that is grumbling and complaining. You think of service, the, the opposite of that is laziness and serving self. You think of sacrifice, the opposite of that is selfishness and greed. You think of love, the opposite of that is hatred and malice. And I hope you believe the Lord is coming soon because he is. It's sobering to think that Jesus spoke, you know, as he ends this section about gnashing of teeth, um, weeping. You know, this is a sec- section describing hell, an eternal separation from God. You know, Jesus spoke more on hell than any other person in the Bible. He did that because he knew what it's like. And he wanted to warn us to stay away. And he provided himself as a substitute so that we might avoid a Christless eternity. 
And I invite anybody here, anybody watching, anybody listening on Grace FM, I invite you to come to Jesus if you haven't done that yet. The Lord Jesus is coming back. And if you don't have Christ living in your life, you ought to be freaking out right now. The world should be freaking you out. He's like, what's going on? What's going to happen? It's a scary world that we're living in. Trying times. And yet we know what is coming. I've read the last chapter of the Bible. And the last chapter of the Bible says, in the end, we win. (laughs) There's a victory. There is accomplishment. You have to trust God. You've got to put your trust in him. And if you don't know the Lord, these are scary times. That's why you need Christ in your life right now. Have you asked him to come in? Jesus, who gave these very words on the Mount of Olives. One day I hope we get to go back to, to, to Israel and take you there. We will stand on the Mount of Olives. We will be there looking down on the city. We'll sit in, in a guy's backyard And we'll do a Bible study there and we'll worship right on the Mount of Olives, looking down into the city, into the Temple Mount there. Jesus that was there 2,000 years ago and shared these words to warn us today. And you know what they did? They crucified him. A barbaric, torturous way to die. Very painful. And yet Jesus Christ died willingly and shed his blood for us because he knew there was no other way that we could come into a relationship with God that we've been separated. He died for you and loves you. Even if you need to be reminded of that tonight, church, Jesus died for you and he loves you and God can forgive you and you have to be willing to turn from your sin to experience that forgiveness. If you've never asked him to come into your life, I'm gonna ask you to do that right now. And so Father, we know that the end times, I, I don't do it justice, I know, Other pastors and other teachers have done much more thorough job on this. But for the sake of my my life, my mouth, my ministry, I want to be faithful to you in our church. I want to be faithful to you in this city to warn men and women and boys and girls to get right with you. And I just pray you would comfort us and help us, Lord, to um, not be so scared because it is scary that you would encourage us and build our hope. And for those that don't know you today, I invite them into a relationship with you. So if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to invite you to follow Jesus today. It's as if Jesus is saying, and I'm speaking on his behalf, come and follow me. And so for the sake of you that are in the room, if you're here today and you'd say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus with my life. I want the forgiveness of sins. I want to invite you where you are right now. Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. And the Lord put something on my heart for anybody that responds tonight. And I just feel like it's from the Lord. So like if God is stirring your heart right now, it's all his doing. It's like the Lord spoke to my heart prophetically. There's going to be someone that responds. And this is what I want you to do when they do. So if that's you, I want you to be obedient. And that's, I want to walk with you and help you. And what the Bible says, to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I want to help you with that. So if that's you, just stand to your feet so I can pray with you. Of course, as we're waiting in the room, you online are just like you're being here. It's like you're in the room with us right now. And I invite you to respond to the invitation. And of course, many of you on the radio right now, you're driving around town and, and here you are. You weren't expecting to hear about 
the days in which we live in the coming of the Lord, but God is speaking to you and he's inviting you to receive him, to be willing to turn away from your sins. Anyone here? So here's the deal. I don't want to talk you into it, but I really believe you're fighting the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's not to your benefit. So for the sake of you guys not in this room, uh, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I, I think it's significant because like the Lord spoke to me about someone in the room. And, and if you're resisting, then, then my heart breaks for you. My heart breaks for you. But you can still pray. You know, you don't have to stand. That standing doesn't save you. Uh, there is just an appointment that God had for you. So you're going to miss it uh, here. And that's okay. Don't worry about it. Your salvation is most important. You guys on the radio are, dis- are connected outside of the room. I want you to pray with me. And you can, you can ask God to forgive you. You can say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you. And I ask you, Uh, to forgive me of my sins. And I pray, God, that you would help me to follow you, to learn about you, and to see my life transformed. And I confess to you my sins, even though I don't fully understand all of them, I know that I need to get my life right with you. And so, God, I know anyone, anywhere that would pray that, uh, that you meet them there, ministering to them, loving them, drawing them close. And I pray that you would do that work in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.